Hi, my name is Ben Armstrong. Hi, this is David Koch. My name is Thomas Maurer. Hi, I'm Donna Sarkari. Hi, my name is Lana Montgomery. Hi, I'm Seth Juarez. Hi, I'm Aaron Thomas. I'm Jess Dodson. Hi, I'm Rocky Heckman. Hi, I'm Sonia Cuff. Hi, I'm Troy Hunt. Hello, this is Wally Mead. My name is Reed Purvis. Hi, I'm Lars Kling. Hi, my name is Alan Birchall. Hi, I'm Adam Fowler. Hi, I'm Scott Guthrie, and you're listening to the Need to Know Podcast. All the latest Microsoft Cloud news, as well as industry guest deep dive conversations. It's a Need to Know Podcast. All thanks to the CIA Ops patron community. The Need to Know Podcast. Catch us on Twitter and Facebook, N2K Podcast, and online at ciaops.podbean.com. Hello and welcome to the Need to Know Podcast. My name is Robert Crane and you join me for episode 304. We are in June 2023. Now, as always, you can reach out to me on the socials at DirectorCIA on Twitter and at DirectorCIA at twit.social if you're on Mastodon. Uh, email may be the easiest op- option, director at ciaops.com. I have a YouTube channel and encourage everybody to sign up and join my team's shared channel, information, updates, and an idea of how the concept of team's shared channels works. You'll find the actions that you'll need to take in my blog. The link will be in the show notes, but if you go to my blog, blog.ciaops.com, and search for join my team's share channel, you should find the post there uh, of what needs to be completed. Don't forget the CIOps merch store. Lots of really good items there to help you go and make a statement at the next conference. And all of this material is supported by those CIOps patrons who have subscribed to my online community to be kept up to date on a daily basis and access a number of resources I create uh, for the Microsoft Cloud. Now some announcements, probably the biggest announcement is I've decided that I'm no longer going to create a YouTube version of the podcast. Um, I've run that for a couple of episodes now and it hasn't been particularly well uh, supported unfortunately uh, not getting a growing number of viewerships there and it does take a fair amount of additional time to set up and run and go through so I've decided to temporarily remove that make it easier quicker for me to put out these podcasts so the existing ones will stay up there but uh, for the time being uh, there won't be a video companion to this podcast. I have also been busy creating a online Power Automate course. So if you want to learn how to get into Power Automate, I've created a new online course for that. Put the link in the show notes so that you can go and have a look and see if that sort of thing's for you. Now, CIOPS patrons generally will get that as part of their um, subscription process. I've also written a blog post on the device actions you can take during an incident. So the idea here is that you get an idea of what options you can take when an incident happens on a device from the most aggressive to the least aggressive. And the other thing I'll call out is that I run a regular webinar on Microsoft 365 topics. Uh, That's a free webinar that you can join, typically towards the end of the month. Uh, The one in June is now available for registration. Use Microsoft Teams webinars to do that. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can go in and have a look at that and hopefully sign up and join me uh, on that webinar. Now, probably the biggest news that I saw that was of interest is that Microsoft has released a new security baseline for 
Microsoft 365 uh, apps and also for Edge. So if you go into the Intune portal, uh, you go into the endpoint security and go into the security baselines option, you'll find there's a new policy there, uh, a new baseline policy called Microsoft 365 apps for enterprise security baseline. Now that allows you to create a policy. Now the difference between baselines and most policies in Intune is that a baseline already has the best practices settings enabled or turned on uh, for you. So you don't need to go in and do those individually. Now you can go in and tweak them if you need to, but it saves you having to go through every single option and turn them on or configure each and every one of them. Now, from what I see is that the uh, Microsoft 365 apps, typically for Office um, stuff on the desktop, uh, it's gonna do things like block macros, do all the security stuff uh, for those applications on the desktop, but typically it's targeted at older versions. So if you do have a current version of Microsoft 365 um, from the cloud, um, you're pretty much going to be up to date and a lot of these policy items probably won't necessarily make a huge impact. I've uh, enabled that policy in my environment. I haven't seen any impact, but again, to me, what I see when you go into the policy and actually have a look at it, you'll see that it targets you know, Office 2016 macros and generally older versions of Office. Now, from what I can see, there's no downside to putting it in, but you should always test it and make sure. But uh, again, it's really targeted at those older uh, versions of Office which probably aren't as secure as the current version. So go and have a look at that, enable it. I've done that, haven't seen any issues inside uh, my environment. Now the other one is the Edge uh, baseline. So that has also been updated. Now we had an older Edge baseline. Uh, this is a new one. Now when you go to the new one, you can't simply update the previous version because there are so many changes in it. So you have to create a new Edge baseline and use that going forward. The article that I'll link in the show notes will show you how to do that. Um, and basically all I did was went into the old one, deleted it, created with the uh, new option here and then uh, allowed it to deploy. Now, again, I've seen no issues with it at all. The only thing is, is some of the um, extensions in the browser and the Edge browser um, need to have particular settings if you want to enable control. So that's the only thing I've seen I've needed to do is so I use some additional extensions, you know, things like DuckDuckGo, Privacy, uh, Pocket, uh, you know, some things like LastPass and so on. Uh, they may need the ability, if you want to control them at the browser end rather than having them locked away from the user, you may need to go in and tweak those settings in that policy. But pretty much you can deploy that, you know, straight out of the box there and it gives you you know, a large, a uh, much greater control over those uh, extensions in your environment. So again, go and have a look at that article, add those new policies, update that and improve the security of your environment. Now, another update Microsoft has announced is that it has uh, updated or it has, I suppose, changed the currency around the PowerShell script repository for Intune. Now, it's had this uh, GitHub for quite a while. Uh, it has had its challenges. I've written some blog posts about those challenges. It uses the graph to do that. And the older version, which is now deprecated, has had, you know, I suppose, many uh, items that have been missing because of the move to the modern graph approach. Uh, this now points out the new repository. The old one will simply be archived and you should move to uh, the new one. So if you are using uh, scripts from these repository or this repository, 
to work with Intune. Uh, the idea is you need to make sure you are now using the new sample script repository, the new approach that Microsoft uh, prefers when it comes to accessing everything uh, in Intune. So put a link in the show notes, go in, have a look at that. Really easy way to get access to all the policies, set things up, apply them, uh, do whatever, and automate your whole Intune uh, capabilities there. So it is a very, very good uh, reference point if you are working with Intune, you want to look at uh, automating, but make sure you are on the most current one, the one that Microsoft prefers that you go in and use. Now, there's a good article here from Microsoft on detecting and my mitigating a multi-stage AITM phishing and BEC campaign. Uh, it's probably not anything that we don't know already, but it is a very nice summary of taking you through, you know, the chain of attack and, you know, what the stages are of the attack and what technologies can be applied and what it looks like uh, basically when uh, you know, have an attacker using these sort of techniques uh, in your environment there. So I'd certainly recommend it as a very good article for an overall summary. It is quite technical, but not too technical. I think it is a really good um, article to use to really get a good idea of the full extent and the guidance and what Microsoft's doing and how to implement a lot of these sort of uh, capabilities as well. So I'll put a link again in the show notes. Go and have a look at that. Really gives you, I think, a very nice overview of how Microsoft is be able to uh, mitigate uh, these sort of attacks using the technologies in typically things like Defender for Endpoint. Also an article here on the SharePoint Roadmap Pips pit stop. It's always good to see what Microsoft's up to when it comes to uh, SharePoint. It's certainly changing a lot. They're very focused now on the visuals, the look and the feel of what SharePoint is, the modern approach to websites and viewing. If you haven't looked at it, you should go and have a look. It really does have some you know, fantastic new uh, capabilities, puts it on par with many other web standard, you know, external facing websites you see out there. Um, again, SharePoint is designed for internal, not external, but it's getting on par with what you see out there in the standard web. The other thing we're going to start seeing, obviously, is you know more integration with Loop. We're also going to see Copilot coming for uh, SharePoint as well. That's going to be very interesting to be able to you know search and ask questions and develop things using Copilot as well. We've also got Syntex in there as well. Um, so there's lots and lots of really um, cool technologies that are coming to SharePoint. It's a really good summary uh, blog. Lots of that you can go in there and uh, keep up to date with what's happening in SharePoint. The other thing to remember that this is also a podcast as well. So if you want to listen to this as well, you can subscribe uh, to the uh, SharePoint Roadmap Pit Stop uh, podcast and keep up to date with everything that's going on there. But it's a really good way I find just to get across SharePoint, you know, month to month to month and have one article to go in and be up to date with everything. So another interesting article here is on the increasing transparency into Azure Active Directory's resilience model. Now, previously, uh, there have been some challenges around Azure Active Directory's resiliency. If there's been a failure, then there has been, you know, the fact that everything is largely dependent on Azure AD and the identity, and you get impacts in Teams and SharePoint and OneDrive and so on. Now, to Microsoft's credit, they are working very hard to make sure that uh, we avoid a single point of failure. This blog post here goes in and details this. Uh, some of the technologies they're using, for example, is something known as sharding, where they can, you know, have multi the identity databases stored in multiple locations, make sure they're all synced together. Uh, again, a very, very powerful the way they've gone about this. And it's a big challenge when you think at the simple size of 
you know, Azure AD and the amount of signals and logins it's taking per day to be able to make that, you know, highly resilient across, you know, the globe is a challenge here. So we recommend you go in and have a look at that article, understand how Microsoft is working to improve the resiliency and prevent the chance of, you know, an Azure AD outage causing a major failure for customers. Now, for people who are using Microsoft's multi-tenant tool, uh, Lighthouse, all right, so Lighthouse has seen a number of major improvements recently. This article here, I'll refer you to, uh, covers a lot of those around deployment, security, managing, uh, whatever. So if you haven't looked at Lighthouse in a while or you haven't implemented and you need to manage multiple tenants as a reseller, then I'd certainly recommend you go in uh, and have a look at that. Read this article. You'll be able to see all the enhancements they've added to the product of late. Uh, and get an idea of how much easier it is to manage multiple tenants using uh, this capability. Now remember that Microsoft 365 Lighthouse is free, uh, so it's easy enough to add and then start linking customer sites uh, to that so you can get this overall multi-tenant style uh, experience. So another article here is the um, you know a security one around identity threat level detections and automatic attack response. It's very heartening to see that Microsoft is taking the approach of automatically dealing with a lot of these uh, what are seen to becoming more and more sophisticated attacks um, that need to be dealt with almost immediately. The capabilities and the information in there uh, is really really great and understanding what actions it takes and how it takes it and how you can go in and view the logs and do queries and all that sort of stuff uh, is going to be of real benefit. Now the tools are extremely powerful and Many people may say that they are too complex, but to get the sort of power that you need, it's a matter of understanding the tool and understanding what it does and how it does to get the most benefit out of it. So again, a really good article here to give you a bit of a deep dive uh, in understanding you know, the integration between things like identity detection, threat level intelligence, um, automatic automation, all of that sort of thing. Uh, is in here. So I'd advise you to keep up to date with what's happening, especially if you are using uh, these sort of Defender products and the integrations that can be provided across them. Another a security one here on XDR meets IAM. So uh, this is around the identity threat detection and response. So a bit more of a summary article here, a higher level uh, one for you to go and look at rather than a deep dive technical. But I think it's always very good to read these sort of summary articles to make sure that you're on the same page. It is very easy to get lost in you know the granular detail and bouncing back and which defender are we talking about here and so on. So I would certainly recommend you go and have a look at these summaries, make sure that you are covering off all those items, you make sure that you have the appropriate things turned on as required and that you are making the most of any investment you've made in the Microsoft security stack and potentially what else could be added there to enhance that uh, capability. Now, the last one I've got for you is around the fact that conditional access authentication strength is now generally available. So this was uh, available in preview. Now, by authentication strength, what it means is you can now start requiring conditional access to have and use things like photo keys, uh, certificate-based authentication. Uh, so there is more capabilities to improve and to prevent you know, uh, MFA attacks getting through your defenses there. So if you need to use that or you want to go to that next level of strength with your MFA or conditional access, then 
I recommend you go and have a look at this and uh, set it up to the appropriate level to you know, protect uh, basically your environment. Now, with that said, what I thought I'd talk about or discuss in uh, this podcast episode is around application whitelisting. So application control is probably a better term for it than application whitelisting. Now, I would suggest to you that probably application control, so preventing or controlling what users are allowed to run on their devices is probably something that's going to be very, very difficult to do. And in that case, should typically be the very last thing you're thinking about implementing when it comes to security. So, you know, the starting point should be, you know, turning on the logs, uh, making sure all the capabilities of logging are enabled, then doing all the basics, you know, locking down, um, you know, the standard best practices, then, you know, implementing things like policy around DLP and AIP and uh, Defender for Office 365, get all those policies in place. Then you want to look at something called virtualization-based security. So device guard, credential guard, application guard, all that sort of stuff. And after all that, you basically should be getting towards the you know 85 to 90 in your secure score. And then I begin, only then I'll begin looking at application control. Now it's gonna be very, very tough to do this in SMB because there is such a variety of applications out there from a variety of providers. Now application control is going to work relatively easily in an environment where all the machines and the application use are known and documented. So think of an enterprise, an enterprise uses you know a standard version of Windows and then has standard app applications on the desktop and users can't go and add their own applications. In SMB, we just don't see that. We see such a variety of, especially third-party applications that users may in fact need and require or have on their devices or like using it's very hard to provide a consistent uh, policy or approach to locking uh, basically all of those down. Now, the way you can start if you want to is you can go into uh, Intune, all right? You can go into device configurations there, create a device configuration uh, policy around endpoint protection. Now, in there, you will find an option for Defender Application Control. Now you can turn this on and you can select the option in here that says trust apps with good reputation. Now what that does is that will use the Microsoft, what they call the intelligent security graph to make decisions effectively about what can run on uh, users' machines based on the reputation Microsoft has in its database in the cloud as to the that application in question. So for example, if a user uh, downloads and installs an application before that's allowed to run with this policy options enabled the user may or may not be allowed to run that application now that's really good it's really easy to deploy it's just one or two options inside an Intune policy however the downside is that it's very broad there's no way to go in and customize and say well yes but I want this but uh, I don't want to I want to allow this application that you may think is bad Microsoft but we want to run it so an example of this is that if you do enable this, uh, firstly, in this policy, we'll need to reboot the machine because it's going to implement uh, a boot policy uh, to control all this. Then when it comes back, you're going to find you know things like Microsoft Office, Edge, all of those work fine. What doesn't work is some of these, what you would 
potentially consider you know normal applications for example my experience has been that brave as a browser for example no longer runs uh, things like snagit from techsmith to capture screams is fine but camtasia is not allowed to run so this is a bit strange because you know both of those camtasia and snagit come from the same provider and our commercial products so the problem with this is once you enable it there's no customization there's no editing there's no way that you can go and change that slightly to suit your environment you've got to take what microsoft has in its database as known good applications to them and use that everything else is effectively blacklisted so that can be very hard in an smb environment because again microsoft's not publishing a list of what's known good what's known bad and you've sort of got to uh, you know, do this via trial and error but it is available to you can just go and create an intune policy you can implement it in audit mode if you want and you can go through and have a look at what the results are before you turn it on always a good option and a suggested option to make sure that you go in uh, and do that so that's the easiest way to go in and implement application control uh, via a policy in intune but you don't get a lot of flexibility when it comes to uh, making exceptions for the environment now the next option you can consider is something called app locker so app locker is an older version of application control that comes inbuilt with uh, windows and the idea is is effectively as you set a policy you tell app locker what's allowed to run and the difference here is that app locker has a per user setting so you can set app locker to control the policy of one user on a device and it can be very different from another user who uses that same device so you've got that more granular flexibility the downside to app locker is that it's an older technology and one microsoft is moving away from and it also requires a service to be running so if that service is not running then app locker itself is not going to operate um, correctly so that also means an attacker potentially could uh, you know uh, stop that service and prevent app locker from working so yes you can use app locker yes it has more controls potentially per user uh, but it is that older technology and probably isn't as secure as it could be uh, these days but you can go in and still have a look at app locker if you want to do that the preferred option that microsoft has is something called windows defender application control wdac uh, the difference with WDAC is that WDAC applies to a complete device so again we're typically talking Windows 10 or 11 devices here we're not talking iOS Android and so on so WDAC is a you know application control mechanism that basically loads on boot and applies to the device so once you apply it it applies to the whole device not the users on the device right so it's independent of the users it's basically targeted at the whole device now the challenge with WDAC is that it is quite complex I suppose to set up you typically need to create uh, a policy in JSON file format and then you need to apply that uh, typically with PowerShell now that said you can apply WDAC as well as AppLocker with uh, Intune policies I've got a number of videos that I'll link in the show notes you can go and have a look at that gives you the basic overview of how to go in set those up use those run those uh, remember again the idea here is to be very careful when you do apply these because they can potentially brick the machine and prevent you from actually logging in uh, we typically see that where people are using unsigned drivers or unknown drivers that load at boot I think RMM tools or remote access tools running in the background um, if they're not you know well supported or well uh, 
secured, then that can end up with WDAC policies potentially uh, bricking the machine and making it difficult to recover. So there are a couple of videos I'll sh I've got there on my YouTube channel you can go and have a look at and get a basic idea of, of how to firstly apply it standalone and then also how to apply both AppLock and WDAC uh, using um, Intune if you wish. Now I started off writing some articles around WDAC trying to understand it and it got to a point where I really needed to find someone who knew more than me and that was proving very, very difficult. So again, I'll put the link in the show notes of how far that I managed to get with that. Um, it isn't complete. I'm still working to try and get all the information and present it on my blog in a way that people can easily uh, understand it. So my advice to you is to think about application whitelisting in the reverse sense. So think of it more about application blacklisting. I think that is an easier approach, especially in SMB. Now, Microsoft has uh, basically two items here that I would suggest, and I'll put in the show, link in the show notes here. And what it will give you is Microsoft maintains a list of recommended block rules and recommended, you know, bad drivers, right? So... The idea would be, I suggest, and this is what I implement in my own environment, I basically take the list that Microsoft presents and that has its own already listed JSON configuration file. I take that and I apply that using WDAC to my machines. Now, remember the idea here is this is going to be a block list. So this is going to prevent known bad things or things that aren't required uh, for day-to-day -day use uh, in a user environment on my machine. So a good example of uh, this, there is an application called mshta.exe, which is a legacy application that is part of Windows that is still required in some backwards compatibility needs, but really most users would never ever need it. However, attackers will use that to launch a child process. So the idea with this blacklist that Microsoft maintains, it's going to prevent you know, a lot of the scripting stuff, a lot of the applications that are legacy that a user won't need and won't use. So to me, it's a much easier in SMB to blacklist than try to go in and whitelist individual applications. Now, Microsoft also maintains a list of driver block rules as well. And I would suggest you, again, take that and use that uh, to go in and identify, you know, exactly, you know, what drivers should be blocked and these are known bad drivers here uh, it's quite a large json file but just copy and paste and then apply it uh, using the standard wdac process so what you get then rather than application whitelisting on your environment in smb i would suggest is application control but you are blocking the known bad stuff there and that's going to be much easier i think to manage my philosophy would be is that as provided you've got your security set up in a layered approach and you're providing best practices around uh, using things like you know, attack surface reduction rules, ASR rules, you're setting up Intune, Endpoint, all of that correctly, it reduces the surface attack area anyway. And as I said, you know, if you do want to go to application control, make sure that you've got everything else in place and you are aware of the impact it will have for uh, your end users, all right, and the ability that you're going to need to maintain it and manage it anytime there's a variation. So to me, starting off with uh, blacklisting known bad applications is a better uh, approach generally than trying to pick and choose what you whitelist. Now, another point that I'll call out here sort of to finish off is a item I would suggest you have a bit of a think about. Now, 
Here in Australia, we a lot of people are pushing the Essential 8 uh, as a standard to apply to now. I'm not a big fan of that because if you read the documentation, Essential 8 is only designed for Windows 10 devices. It's not designed for iOS, it's not designed for the cloud, Android and so on. It's only designed for Windows machines, which makes it a massive limitation in my opinion. Now, the E8 also says something like this. The following examples are not application control, and it defines this as using next generation cybersecurity software or any other vendor product that decides whether an application should be allowed to execute based on factors other than the system administrator's pre-configured list of approved applications. So in a nutshell, that's saying that you can't use lists or you can't use decisions made by a third-party vendor when it comes to application control. So this can cause a challenge when people are using third-party application control software, or even Microsoft WDAC, uh, or some of the Intune policies that allow Microsoft to make decisions about what is you know, a software application with a good reputation or a bad reputation. So Essential Aid is effectively saying you need to define each individual application as a system administrator in each instance that you allow to run. Now, if you spread that out and you're managing multiple tenants, that's going to be really, really hard to do because of this variation we talked about in the SMB world. So remember that if you do want to go down this application control path, my advice to you would be is make sure you do it as one of the last things uh, in your deployment. You've got the capability to deploy it using a simple Intune endpoint security policy, and that will apply, but remember, you'll have limitations about what works and doesn't work. A step up from that will probably be something like AppLocker, and again, that has its own limitations. And then you've got WDAC, and then in WDAC, I would suggest you look at blacklisting first before you consider whitelisting. And Overall, remember that once you start doing this application control, no matter what tool you use, it is going to become quite onerous to manage that. And it's going to be very frustrating for a lot of users because they want to use their particular software. And that can be very hard to enforce after the fact. So if the users are used to a free reign over their devices and all of a sudden it gets locked down, yes, it's more secure, but does that security prevent them from actually getting their job done uh, and being more productive. So this is the balance that you've got to do. Now, if you want to start using this or you want to start investigating and applying it to environments you may manage, my advice to you is to go and do it to yourself first. This is the best way to understand the impact for the users. Don't run out there and download some WDAC policy from the internet and then apply it. There's a really good chance that you're going to brick the machines because it is quite stringent in its approach to what's allowed to run and not run right down to driver, DLLs, EXEs, all of that sort of stuff. So typically where we've seen it is people who deploy it with some sort of remote monitoring tool sitting in the background that loads at boot. That isn't compliant with a WDAC policy and you brick the machine, you blue screen, and you've got to try and recover from that. So again, be very, very cautious with this. And as I said, apply it to yourself. But in general, rule of thumb, I would apply application control as the very last thing. Once you've done everything else security-wise, I think application control is one of the last things. And I would strongly recommend doing a block list first or a blacklist before you think about the uh, whitelisting of what you actually allow to run. But hopefully that's given you some ideas, some uh, concept, 
and guidance when it comes to application control in today's environment. I think it is very hard for SMB. I'll make sure that all the links I've mentioned here are in the show notes. You can go in and review them, have a look at them, and do your research before you go and start inflicting this on uh, environments because it is something that will have a major impact uh, on the security and also on the day-to-day operations for most users. So with that, I take this opportunity to thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Need to Know podcast. You have been listening to the Need to Know podcast from CIA Ops. For training on using technologies like SharePoint Online or Microsoft 365, visit www.ciaopsacademy.com. By purchasing from the selections available, you'll be directly supporting this podcast. To provide feedback on this episode, visit www.ciaops.com contact.